have a Bible this morning and you would read along with us, we're going to take a slightly longer reading than is normal. We're going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And we're going to read the entire chapter. That's 19 verses. And so bear with us as we read this lengthy reading. And some of it has some difficult pronunciations here. So I was always told if you read across a hard word, just say it real fast. Uh, So you might see that this morning. So that is 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and that's reading verses 1 through 19, and here's what it reads. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. Or in verse 4. When they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh, and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether the small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. And also concerning Mekah, the mother of Asa, the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burned it at the brook of Kidron. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all of his days. And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa. That'll conclude our reading this morning. And again, forgive me for some of the mistakes that I might have made in the reading. The title of our message this morning is A Committed Generation. 
a committed generation. About a month ago, uh, some of our friends in Indianapolis had, uh, I suppose it was meant to be kind of a going away get together for Kathleen and I and our family. And so we all went to a um, friend's house and um, I think we had 19 children present. So uh, we just sent them out back and let them parent themselves, I suppose. Uh, And as typically happens, we uh, congregated together and ate and talked and then uh, unintentionally segregated between men and women and just kind of had our discussions with our uh, close friends that we've sort of grown up with, I would say, or at least developed into adults with. Many of us uh, went to college together and saw each other when we had children and such. And um, it was a work night, and yet we still didn't leave till about one in the morning um, because we got to talking about something. And I brought before some of them, I said, you know, our church is um, trying to come up with an idea for Wednesday night and Sunday nights. And if you could start from a scratch and a blank slate, what would you do? And I've kind of been doing that to a lot of people, just asking them. And I've asked many of you what your thoughts were. And um, I just like to gather all that information as much as possible. And we, as most conversations do, when you get in a group like that, that conversation evolved and took different forms and led from one place to another. And um, I'd say we talked for probably close to four hours. And I went home that night and I just couldn't sleep. I just, my mind was racing and and I, I couldn't pin down what was it so much that was stirring me. Um, next day, I, I went to work, or was drug into work, I guess, um, and I began to think about our conversation, and the Lord really spoke to me um, that next day at work. And one of the things, and I hope today not to dwell too much on that conversation, but it's certainly the Lord used it. Those are a lot of friends who uh, I've had a lot of fun with, and I know them well enough to know that they're not that smart, Uh, only the Lord is, and uh, for him to be able to use them. One of the conversations that uh, our thoughts evolved into was kind of the the three big things that our church faces. Many of them are pastors, and so I'm speaking about our church, but we were talking about collectively all of our churches. And these three things that we talked about that is proving very difficult in our age are, one, learning and teaching people to mature, or sanctification, growing more holy, set apart from the world unto the Lord. It seems as though over the last 20 years, we've not done a great job of that. The second one involved our young people, and it's the problem of discipleship. So we look back and we say, we may not have been super successful in the prior generation, and now we have a group of young people that are growing up, and the enticements have multiplied much more than even 10 years ago. Or in other words, the enemy has grown. And it seems as though that there is not a tactic, there's not a strategy, there's not a reconsideration of maybe what went wrong and what we could alter to go ahead. 
And so the second thing that we got into a lengthy discussion about was discipleship. How do we go beyond dragging kids to church where they begin to own it, desire it? Because there will come a point in all young men and young women's lives where you get just past the point of where your parents are controlling most of your decisions. Right? It's, it's a sliding scale. It slowly happens. And good parenting is something where you're gradually giving more authority and more control to your children. And it's fascinating and probably terrifying to watch what they do. But there comes a point where it hits that 50% threshold and beyond where they're in control of their life. Where they get to make the primary decisions about what are you going to do with your time? Where does church play in all this? What role does the Word of God play in making your decisions, the vital decisions that will dictate the big things that happen in your life? And so as a church, the Bible has given us, Jesus before he left, gave us the explicit instructions that one of the primary things we're to do is to disciple our children. That is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-days-a-year job. And it's hard. And it takes a group, not just two parents. So we talked about discipleship for a while. And the last thing we talked about was evangelism. How in this generation do you evangelize? I don't know the answer to that question. Right? We look back in former generations and we see that there were enterprises which were started that were very successful, and some of those have been carried on traditionally to today. And yet, as I've gone the last four or five weeks through our, uh, role, our church roles, and I've gone through the alphabet, I'm currently in the letter R, and I've gone through very slowly and seen trends in all of those numbers, one thing I've recognized is that the enterprise of revivals was very effective at this church. I would guess between 60 to 70%, and that's a conservative number, of people who joined this church did it in the month of July or the beginning of August during our summer revival. And it was nothing for me as I've been typing those uh, and looking at those things to, to look at and see four or five or seven people under the same letter join the church and get saved that week under one letter of the alphabet. And you put all that together and you see that it wasn't an uncommon thing for 30 or 40 or 50 people to be saved. And we recognize, it's self-evident to all of us, that that's not the case today. Not only is it not the case that people are getting saved, but the word is not getting out, which is what we can control. Right? There's very little we can do to ensure that somebody gets saved other than what God has commanded us, and that is to get the word out, to broadcast it, to be heralds of the gospel that as many people as possible would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We can have something to do with that part. The results, we have to trust in the hands of the Lord because ground in some places is very fertile and at certain periods of time is very fertile and sometimes it's not. But what we can control is whether the seed gets spread or not. We discussed that. And one of the things that came up, and I didn't intend to spend this long talking about this because I want to get to our text this morning, is somebody said this. Why is it that I feel so close to all of you right here? And yet when I go to my church, I don't feel that way. 
Why is it that I can come and I don't see some of you for months at a time? And then when I'm having a problem with my children, when I'm struggling with being a husband, I can just confess it all before you and share the things that are in my heart. And it's so much easier to do that here. And then I go to church and I feel cold and stiff and reluctant and hesitant. And we began to talk about that and think, you know, why is that? Why is it that there are places you can go with a group of people and you feel so spiritually free? And then you can go other places and it's just cold and indifferent and you don't feel that way. And you know, one of the brothers said, well, it's because all of us here hold the same values. Like we really hold the same values. Because there's a sense to which you can think of um, concentric circles, and this is how I often think of a church, right or wrong. I think of a church like concentric circles. You have your core right there in the bullseye. Those are the people every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, they're going to be here and they're going to search the word of God and they're going to listen to the words of the preaching of the gospel in their Sunday school classes and they're going to contemplate how can I employ these things in my life? They're going to look at their brothers and sisters as we often should closer than family. These are my people. Those people are the core. You got your next concentric circle. Attenders, when it's convenient, but not so devoted as that core. And then you have a third group, and that's just people whose name's on the books. And at one point they were here, but they're not that much here anymore. This inner concentric circle are people who hold the same values and I want to press this this morning based upon our scripture text. The first thing I'd like to, to do this morning is invite you to be a part of the core. That takes some effort on your end, but it's vital for you and for the life of this church for you to devote yourself to be to the core of this church. It's not always easy, it's not always encouraging but it's necessary. You see, this scripture reading that we did this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 denotes a king, King Asa. And he had just earlier in the previous chapter fought an army from Ethiopia of a million people. A million people is who they fought. There were 500,000 of them, but in the King James it says a thousand thousands. If you do the math, that's a million. There were a million people that they faced. And King Asa didn't have great examples from before. And so he comes before God and he comes before the people and he says, it is essential that we devote ourselves wholly to the Lord. Here we read two vital truths that we read to you this morning. I want to read the first one to you. It's found in verse three of our reading. It says this, now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. If you read in five and six, it tells us more about this established truth. It says this, and in those times, there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries, 
plural. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. So what do we read about Asa's time? We read about two things that are going on. Number one, they had turmoil within Judah. And number two, they had turmoil outside of Judah. And so from all accounts, the struggles that they're facing are very real. Here we read in verse three, it told us that there was not a true God, a true teaching, and they were without the law in Judah. You know, it doesn't mean that the signs of its past wasn't there. It didn't say they didn't have a priest. It said they didn't have a teaching priest. One who was avidly applying the law of God, people who were actively following the law of God. Here it's telling us that the problems they were facing within were very real and they were not spiritual people. And then we find that in verses five and six, that all the things going on outside the nation were chaos. I find great comfort in knowing that our time is the only time where that's going on. Right? Because as you look on the news and as you look at things going on in our nation, as I project forward, which is a, a dangerous thing to do because we don't know what holds tomorrow, what I do think holds tomorrow is nothing good for this nation. And I hate to be a pessimist, and I'm not a pessimist. I feel as though you can't help but read between the lines and see until a nation turns back to God, their hope is none. Here. I look at our nation and I say, you know what? Economically, things aren't going in the right direction. Politically, things aren't going in the right direction. If I told you the real story of what happens in a public school, at least where I teach at, you'd be horrified. Because most of the things you don't know about. And it's designed that way. Next generation, I'm not too optimistic about. So what do you do? Where do we go? Some people would take the essence, let's just get the getting while it's good. While we're prosperous, while things are going well with us, let's just enjoy the pleasure for a while. And I, I would say, to a large extent, that's what our nation's done for a long time, is we've recognized things are going in the wrong direction, but right now things are good, so let's hurry up and enjoy. Here, they recognize that there were problems within and there were problems without. One truth that's going on today that was going back then is that there were problems outside and there were problems inside. Here's a second truth that the Bible tells us from this situation. Listen to what the reading said in verses 2, 4, and 7. It said this, this man comes to him, and this is what he prophesies in verse 2. The Lord is with you while you be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Look at verse seven. It says this. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Two amazing truths. Number one, you're living in a difficult time. Here's the second one. You serve a great God who at all points will help you, but that help, listen, is conditional. It's conditional upon your willingness to seek him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. If you worship him, he'll be your God and you can be his people. But it is fully conditional upon your surrendering to him. 
You know, God is like that throughout all of eternity. God has always been in, in the case of inclining his people who incline themselves towards him and a people whose heart and affection is, is seeking to honor God. He is one that will reveal himself to them. If you look at the time of the Ninevites when Jonah came and this bitter prophet went and he preached to the people and unexpectedly those people repented of their sins and God was not far from them because their hearts were inclined to him. Thus, he inclined his heart and his actions to them. It's a wonderful thing as you read throughout scriptures. And I was thinking this week as I was studying this, that you can often, as you read through the Bible, there will be this glow that happens where the Bible will comment about a generation. It did during the time of Joshua. If you remember, the forerunners to Joshua's dis, uh, 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 generation were a disobedient group of people who had absolutely no faith whatsoever. Dis, uh, no matter what God did before them, they refused to trust in God ultimately. And then it comes to Joshua's generation and miraculously God helped them to neglect and forget the things that their parents' generation had done and they set themselves towards obeying God wherever he might lead them. And for 36 years, they plowed through the promised land and one nation after another nation after another nation, they obliterated it as long as their hearts were surrendered to God. And there was no one that could withstand the power of the Israelites because it was God working through them. You read during the time of Nehemiah where Ezra stood there what it was in front of the sheep gate, I believe it was. And it says the, all the people came together and they stood at the sheep gate and they listened to the prophet Ezra expound the scriptures from morning until noon. And everybody listened attentively. See, it had been gone for a very long time. And it was being re-implemented in that time. And those people were eager. We fast forward to the day of Pentecost and following that, what do we learn in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 49, the end of the chapter, that those who were saved were baptized and gladly received the words and came together in one another's homes and fellowshiped and broke bread with one another and they became God's people together. And God, after he had uh, taught them through the disciples, scattered those people all over the world to turn the world upside down. You see, the point of our message this morning is to say the generation jointly committed themselves to the Lord. There are some things that we can inherit. We can inherit a building. We can inherit songbooks. We can inherit any number of different things that are blessings to us. And yet at the same time, those blessings can often be a curse to us for this reason. Very often a traditional group of people, which I would say our denomination is a moderately traditional group of people, right? We're not as extreme as some denominations are, and we're not as cutting edge and willing to abandon traditions as others. We're a moderately traditional group, and very often whenever you have a group who has traditions, they begin to cling to those traditions for different reasons than what former generations did. You see, former generations used things like revivals, used things uh, that were traditions for an end purpose, not for the sake of themselves. Those things were meant to get to an end, and that end was evangelizing the community. And while it worked, it was a powerful thing. 
But then I've been at churches before who, those things who in one age it was very powerful, it became very destructive because the heart of the people was not committed to the same end purpose as what the previous generations has been. And so those people continue to go along the same paths and walk the same traditions. And yet, since they were doing it for tradition's sake and not for the end goal that it was meant to accomplish, God removed himself from the equation and all the power and influence that it once had was gone. Here I ask you this morning, in our generation, in this generation, in the here and now, what is going to work to do those three things? What is going to work to sanctify people's hearts? Because to me, it seems as though that there is a hard battle that we have to fight to help God's people separate from sin, stay separate from sin. If you read back in history around the time of the 1930s and 40s and 50s, even beyond that, and some of you may remember preachers getting up and preaching against people owning a television because what they were afraid of is not what was currently on the television, but what was forthcoming in the future. They had insight to know that when you allow the world in that sacred sanctuary of your home where, where, where God is meant to be and where his word is meant to be vibrant, where discussion and family and love is meant to be there, when you invite this box with the world is able to bring anything they want to it, God's people foresaw there can be some danger in that. And so many of God's people uh, preached against that and share that you've got to be careful of it. And yet today, if you get up and preach that, you're an extremist, right? And yet the reality is this. We've grown as worldly and carnal as any generation that's ever lived. And I believe, and I think you do too, I think you know, that screen has something to do with it. And so as a church, what do we do? You know, what we've done, at least in my estimation over the past number of generations, is we've just said, we'll leave it to your discretion. You all choose. And so we see this with our children, right? You have some children who watch whatever they want, as much as they want. Other children who are very limited. And you get them together, and sometimes kids start rubbing off on each other. And it's a dangerous thing. You have to have conversations with your spouse and say, you know, I'm a little nervous to let my kid around that kid because every time they come back around us, they're saying words they ought not to say. And they're telling us stories they ought not to tell. And so you say, what do we do about it? Because on one hand, we want to show love. We want to accept them. We want to do what we can to help them. But on the other hand, it's jeopardizing my kid's purity of heart. You know, I think a church, it's essential for a church to love one another enough that we can adopt a value together about what is right. We have to. Or other words, here's what happens. I just separate my kids from yours. Out of necessity, right? I mean, there's a sense of truth in that. If there are spiritually damaging things, and let me say this, there are things that my peers when I was growing up, and I'm sure it's the same with you, they exposed you to certain things, they told you certain things that left an indelible mark on your mind, and now 25 years later, I still remember those things that were burnt upon my mind, and they still cause obstacles for my heart. 
things done when I was eight, nine, ten years old. Things you're exposed to. Listen, a group of people who worship together that really want God to visit them must have similar values. Here, they got together, and I want to I want to cover this. I don't want to lose this. It says God promised you, He said, if you get together and you devote yourselves wholly to the Lord, I will reward you and I will be with you. Here's what he says, verse 9. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw the Lord, the God, was with them. I want to tell you something interesting about this. So here, Judah, which is the southern kingdom, they're separated from Israel. They gather together and they say, you know what? We don't want to do what's done before. We don't want to intermarry with other groups outside of us. We want to come together and we want to devote ourselves to the Lord. And God said, I will be with you and I will reward you. And listen to what it said there. People from the northern tribe of, tribes of Israel saw that. They saw that those people wanted to really step out and follow after God and separate from the world. And here's what it said. There were people from the tribes of Israel in abundance that saw that God was with Judah and left Israel and joined up with Judah because God was with them. You know, one way that we can evangelize to the world is that we live in a way that God is pleased with and it even makes our enemies to be at peace with us. Or in other words, there are some people out there who have a good heart, who are trying to find the right way, who are trying to seek after God, and they look through his word and they look out in the world. My sister was just telling me yesterday of a friend that she has, that she goes to a big mega church and she's completely dissatisfied because she said nobody ever seeks after the Lord. Everything is pre-coordinated and pre-planned. And every time I leave there, I feel empty. And my own daughter came and said, you know, I think I got saved because I repeated the words that the preacher said. And my sister was able to win her and share with her, listen, I go to this really small church and there's not a lot of people who come and we're not going to break records and we're not going to be on the a mainstay of television on the news. But listen, God and his truth are with us and I can feel his presence and I can know we're walking in the right ways of the Lord. That's more than anything else you could give us, right? You see, she's searching. Here's my point. That woman is searching for something. She knows what she's doing is not right. She knows where she's at it's not right. And she's searching. She has a humble, good heart that is inclined to the Lord. And listen, I believe with all of my heart, there are many people who are disenchanted with the false religion of today because it's sickening. And anybody who has some sense in their head, anybody who has some honesty in their heart, and you put those two things together and you look and you say, this does not resemble the nature and character of Jesus Christ. And they say, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And they're looking for a people that they can be a part of who really wants to serve him at a cost. Because the Bible tells us over and over, all true worshipers have to worship God at a cost to themselves. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here are these people, they gathered together. And here's what it says in verse 12. And this is the main verse that I want to bring to your attention. It says this. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. I love that. You know, the church covenant behind me right now, I can't tell you how many Bible studies that I've done, uh, listened to, been a part of on the church covenant. And 
good teachings, very good teachings. And that's not, a, that's not in preparation to make a backhanded comment about it, right? Uh, it's, it's good. But did you covenant to do it? I mean, really? Did you covenant to do it? Or did you just inherit it? I mean, when you joined this church, did you acknowledge before your brothers and sisters and before God, I'm going to do this? The book of James tells us it's better never to make a promise than to make one and break it. Here's my point. We've inherited it, but have we covenanted together to do it? Have we said jointly, this is the purpose of our church. This is what we're striving after. Or by osmosis, are we just expecting that each person that comes in is just going to adopt subliminally whatever abstract ideas that we throw out from behind the pulpit? Now, you see, one of the things on Wednesday nights, it's a desire of my heart is for us to hone in on, and Brother uh, Wheeler made a whole list here of things uh, based upon not only uh, comments from the church, but from myself and from others. There's a long list, and they're all back there of things that we want to see about our Wednesday night services. And I'll tell you this, one of the burdens and goals of my heart, I couldn't help but notice how often it was reiterated in here, was the discipleship of our young children. And how specifically are we going to do it? And are we going to come together and covenant with one another and say, every Wednesday night that I can possibly be here, this is the place I'm going to be because I want myself to be greater sanctified and I want my children to be discipled in the way of Jesus Christ. You have my word this morning that with all of my strength, my family is going to be here and games and extracurriculars are never getting in the way of the discipleship of my children. My kids' secular education, God is my helper that would give me grace as I make this promise to you this morning. Those academic achievements will never get in the way to seeing my child become a disciple of the Lord. And you know the primary vehicle I hope does it? This church right here. This church. I want you to teach my child what I can't. And I make you a promise this morning that I'm putting my children into your hands. And I need your help to disciple them. And in my mind, our Wednesday night services are the best time we can do it. Will you make that promise? Because these people, they came together. And they made a covenant with one another and with God. There's a lot one person can do for the Lord. But God didn't send us out of singletons. And every command that we find in the New Testament that is one that is purpose-oriented is given to his local body of believers. Will each of you covenant together with me? I'll sign a contract if you want. I'm serious. Because I'm afraid that seriousness has not been taken in former days. Whatever we have to do. 
Because ultimately, here's what I want. I want God with us. I want him here. What we saw yesterday, 40 kids. How many kids do you all think were here? About 40. I don't know how many kids were here. I was thrilled. All those kids were here throwing. And, and I think it is an essential part of a church to have fellowship functions with that. And I could, I could reminisce about all those things that I had when I was growing up, especially when I turned about 15. I met a group of men or young boys that changed my life entirely. And yet, showing up to f- have fun is just a small fraction of what we need to do. You see, there's going to come a time where we've got to instruct them in the Word of God. In preparation for something, and young person, I hope you'll listen to me on this. When we disciple, when a church is discipling you, they're doing it to you in anticipation of life. Because what God has revealed through his word and what God has revealed through the people's experience is that life as you get older is extremely hard. And the hard part is not just the suffering, it's knowing how to make decisions. That's what's hard. It's when the world gives you an offer and God has an offer that's always on the table. And in those those moments where all of your peers are choosing one path, because the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that that's the way that most people go is the broad way. And there's a way that seemeth right unto man, and the end thereof is the way of death. And so we know, and we can tell you, and that's part of the discipleship that's supposed to happen within God's people, is we tell you, listen, there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to be at forks in the road. I remember one of those forks for me. I'm, I'm getting off here on a lot of stories this morning, but I just feel the need to. I remember yeah, I was pretty good at basketball growing up, and I was able to play uh, basketball. And uh, I remember there was one time my mom never allowed it to be a debatable thing. You always went to church. And so every year I'd have to go to the coach. And I remember telling this in revival one time, but I feel like I need to tell it again. I remember going, and every year I'd have to go to the coach and embarrassed. And I'd say, Coach, there's one week out of the year or out of the season I will not be here. I won't be at practice, I won't be at games, and there's nothing I can do about it. My mom won't let me come because we have church. And usually what would happen is I'd get punished. I'd lose my starting spot, I'd lose minutes, I'd have to run extra. There was always a punishment that was involved involved with it. And I accepted, that's just the way it was. And then my mom did something I think very wise at the time, I was 16 years old. It was at the end of the season. We were a very successful team. We were on a really good run. And she said, you choose. Man, that was a hard one. I knew what was right. I knew what was right. And yet she placed that me. I wanted her to take the choice away from me. Ultimately, I knew what was right. I needed to go to church. I didn't want to make that decision because I didn't want to let my teammates down. But I knew what was right. I made the decision to go to the ball game. Only game I've ever been a part of or there's a last second shot where we won. I mean, last second, the buzzer went off, ball's in the air, goes through the hoop, everybody runs to the, the guy who hit the shot, we run to the, the locker room, and I had no happiness whatsoever. And I sat, you know what I did that day? I cried. I sat in that locker room, and I cried. And I determined that day, I'll never make the wrong decision again. God changed me that day. You see, all the way leading up to that, I had been prepared for that moment. My mom had prepared me, my church had prepared me, and I knew I had failed. 
We won. But I had failed. Who? You know that whole basketball game, that whole drive down to Indian Creek? That's the game, that's where we played the game at. And their historic arena. I was miserable. This morning, we disciple you because you're going to get to place just like that, except for that's just a small thing. You You get to bigger decisions in your life. And trust me when I tell you what you want is guidance and help in those moments where you don't know what to do. And this church's job is to prepare you for each of those moments that you're going to face, that equipped with the wisdom and the word of God and the love of your brothers and sisters, that you'll be able to make the right decision that honors and pleases God. I hope Wednesday nights can be that. I hope there are people who look back and say, you know what, I was sitting in these classes on Wednesday nights, and that's where I learned these things. And life is so much easier because of what I learned in that place. But it takes a commitment to be here. You've got to be here. You've not only got to be here, you've got to be engaged. You've got to want to know. You've got to want to learn. You've got to want to equip yourself. Here are these people, and I'm going to close. In verse 15, it even furthers it. It says this, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath. Isn't that awesome? You know, that here recently I bought a house, and I signed a contract to pay those payments. I did not rejoice at that contract. I did everything but that. And I still think about that contract sometimes and wonder, was it the right thing to do or not? Here, you know what this is? They made that oath together, and they rejoiced over it. They were excited that they had made the agreement that this was going to be the place. This is the way that their generation was going to rise up and serve the Lord. He continues, and they ran into obstacles. I was going to get into a lot of other things this morning, but their commitment became action. And that's an important thing to know. Make all the commitments in the world, but if you don't make your first house payment, your commitment was of very little value, right? Here, they made a commitment, and then they took actions to enable them to meet that commitment. What was one of those things that happened? The first problem that happened tells us in verse 16 through 19. The king's mom refused to tear down the idol gods. Oh, man, you imagine how that king felt. You know, it's funny because it would be as if here I get up and I make you this promise as your pastor this morning, and then the coach schedules the next game on Sunday morning. And you know what I'd say? Oh, man. <laughs> right? Now I'm putting it to the test. I'm putting my commitment to the test. Now I've got to determine is when you get to the margin of obedience and disobedience. Listen, most of the things of God are easy to obey because they're, they're, they're desi- you desire to live that type of lifestyle, but it's as you get closer to the margin is where it becomes difficult. Here, his mom broke the law of God. So you know what he did? He said, you can't be queen anymore. That's hard, isn't it? You know what we find in former days? Church would set up its values and say, these are the things we're going to live by. These are the things that God's word commands us to do. And if people are not devoted to that, what would the church do? It would exclude them. Not out of desire, out of necessity, because what they realized was two things. One, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And two, when you start down the path of sin, it'll take you further than you want to go and pay more than what you, or cost more than what you want to pay. 
And so God's people said, listen, these are the principles that we're going to live by. And if you can't, you can't be a part of us. This morning, from this text in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, I hope we would see that it is a template that has worked long before the church was ever around of a generation coming together and devoting themselves to the Lord. You know what I hope the discussion on the way home is tonight or today? Whether you and your spouse will do that or not. Talk about the hard places that you want to avoid talking about. And see whether this place and what we're doing here, the three things I mentioned I think are, are primary. The sanctification of your own heart, the discipleship of your children, grandchildren, the kids here, and the evangelism of a world around us that is desperately in need. If we will devote ourselves to those things collectively and take action to fulfill them, God has promised his power and presence with us. That's all that I want. This morning, I feel like a broken record if I'm being honest with you today. I fought this sermon all week because I feel like I've already preached it 10 times. And yet I feel the need this morning to again put you to that. Put you to that. Because I love these children, and as I saw that yesterday, it reaffirmed over and over how I want. You know, as I've been going through the books, one thing that's jumped out at me is the lack of multi-generational families that are in church. Or in other words, I can list off for you by memory now probably 10 or 15 names, last names in that book, that had 15, 20 people that were part of this church. And I've never heard of those people. And that's just since 1897. That'd be what, four generations maybe? Maybe five at the most? Where are those people? Is it perhaps not a lack of genuine discipleship from one generation, a committed generation that would teach them? That's our message this morning. Please, I pray God would use it the way that he sees fit. I love this church. I love this church. And I want what we do to matter. I don't want to go through routine Wednesday night stuff. I've been part of churches like that for 30 years, and it left me empty, if I'm being honest. I want it to be real. I want it to change people. I want Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. I want it to do something. Really do something. That takes a commitment from us together.